Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today's guest is coming to us all the way from Chile. I think, Francesco, you're the first Chilean guest or South American guest that we've ever had on the podcast. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me. That's right. I mean, I'm originally Italian, but right now I'm based in Chile. So let's say I'm half Chilean. I'm really happy to be the first one on your podcast. Thank you for having me. Which gives us an interesting story to talk about. And your career to get to become a divisional CFO in Chile has been quite a journey. How did that all start? Take us right back to the beginning of your journey. Yeah, let's say, Kevin, that it was a little bit random. I mean, uh, I didn't realize or decide to move to, to Chile in the past. So life took me here, and I'm happy of that. I reckon that probably everybody started when I was 14 or 15 years old, when I had a really nice trip to the States with my dad during summertime. We stayed like uh, one month traveling. And in that period and at that young age, my horizon opened up basically. So when I started studying at college, I had different experiences with uh, different universities in Spain, University of Barcelona, as a medicine student. Then I had an internship in uh, Madrid, in the central bank. And after that, I came back to Italy. And of course, I started working in a consulting company, in, uh, one of the big fours, and then investment banking. And that's when quite randomly another opportunity to go abroad came in my path. So in the past, Caldi SPA, which is now called We Build Group, talked to me and they offered me to go and have a nice experience in Turkey, in Istanbul. And uh, I think in that moment, I have to be really honest. I thought, okay, let's try that. I will stay three months, six months have a nice experience and then go back home with a, a little bit of savings in my pocket and a, a nice professional experience as well. And 10 years later, I'm still <laughs> around the world. So how I got here, it was, as you said, getting a long journey because after Turkey, the company relocated me to, to South America. So I stayed uh, three years and a half in, uh, in South America covering different roles in finance in the organization. And after that, I joined Impresa Pizzarotti, which is my current employer. And I served in Australia as chief financial officer for Australia and the APEC region. And uh, as I usually say, I left Chile from the door and I went back from the window because with Impresa Pizzarotti, I came back to Chile to start up the business with other colleagues. And uh, two years and a half later, I'm still here and enjoying uh, Chile and, of course, uh, enjoying the region. Because in the last month, uh, I had the chance to uh, lead the finance strategy in all uh, the South America region. So, yes, Kevin, it was a quite a long journey. It took 10 years to get here and it was a little bit random, I reckon. That's quite an international journey. So a trip to the United States ends up with you studying in Spain, going back to Italy, South America, Australia, back to South America, via Istanbul. Wow. Yeah. So that is genuinely quite a bit of globetrotting. What is it about those different geographies that have given you 
kind of the biggest challenge? What do you see moving from region to region is the most difficult to handle? Well, let's say that, first of all, uh, there is the relocation process, which also with a big company organization supporting you is never easy. So I think there is a quite big psychological effect, like living my life, which is the best part and probably the worst part of my job. So I'm always temporary wherever I go. I don't put big boundaries in regions or cities where I live because I know that at some some point, probably I will have to relocate. At the same time, I have to be really fast finding friends and uh, building, uh, you know, relationships wherever I stay. I don't have that long time path to take my time, no people, no places. Everything must be fast, you know? And uh, also, which is in some way really exciting to me. I really like and enjoy flexibility and changing and challenge myself. So this is what keeps me uh, alive, let's say. On the other side, of course, there are different uh, cultures. So imagine relocating from Turkey to South America, Spain, United States, and then Australia. Uh, people you're dealing with in your daily life and personal life are really different. I mean, really different point of view about religion, politics, cultural heritage, and everything. And this also applies on the job. So, of course, uh, even if the company has many expats around the world, which are usually the management or top management, the biggest part of my colleagues are uh, local people, basically. So I have to adapt myself, not only in a personal perspective, but also in a professional one. So how you deal with people, how you manage people, how you try to motivate people, and also respect, of course, how they used to live life and work-life balance, which is also hugely different in the countries, is quite challenging. So I will tell you that when I first went to Australia, of course, it was a big change because there were a lot of people working. And uh, from Italy, they were telling me that we were overstaffed, for example. Uh, a lot of barracks, really nice work-life balance. And uh, from a headquarter, probably they didn't understand that. But that's the way it is. I mean, you have to adapt to the countries where you go to work and where you bring your, your organization. What sort of challenges does Chile bring? Ah, well, Chile is a really nice country. It's a great country. I was able to speak Spanish before going to South America because I've been studying and working in Spain. But the language is different. I mean, it's uh, South American Spanish. So I had to start almost from scratch with the language and uh, of course uh, get in touch with local people also was quite difficult because one of our main projects was let's say in one of the probably poorest and most dangerous uh, part of the city so you have to adapt also to the to the local environment and uh, apart of that i have to reckon that at a cultural level we are quite similar i mean with european and Italian. So there was not a great barrier. I reckon the biggest barrier was in Turkey, of course. And clearly here, only people have different characteristics. So you have to try and uh, help to manage them. But I would say that in this case, I mean, when you change a lot of cities and countries, Kevin, you need the support of your colleagues. You need them basically to understand how people think, how you can be basically part of that organization and uh, be 
also a good performer yourself and also this comes to motivate also the others to do better and better what would you say that working in south america in terms of management techniques and the way organizations work is it are companies generally on a par with the, the ones you'd find in europe well, let's say having that I work for an Italian company. I've yeah. always have been working for an Italian company around the world. So, of course, we bring the culture of yes. the headquarter. We bring, uh, of course, processes and practices from the headquarter. Yeah. So, of course, let's say we go uh, global, but we stay local. So, it's a little bit of a global approach. So, we are not totally free to shape the organization as we would like. But of course, we have strong boundaries with Italy. In that case, of course, compared to other organizations here in Chile, we are quite similar. So I don't see very, very big differences. I mean, the work-life balance, the processes are quite strict. Let's yeah. say that also in Chile, culturally speaking, we come, of course, from a, let's say, a difficult uh, political uh, story, you know, not from, a, I would say, a quite a tough environment. You know, yeah. with Pinochet and everything that happened uh, just a few years ago. So the current generation and the old generation are really used to follow the rules and also the procedures. Yeah. Uh, so as soon as you're clear with that, you're transparent with that, you give clear orders, you can expect that people is following that. I'm not saying that they will follow them like uh, shutting up. But of course, uh, internally, they know the value of following rules, basically. So this is really much helpful in a big organization like uh, that one we're working. The downside is that, of course, you need a, a little bit of flexibility with people. So as soon as you give a job description to a colleague, they will follow it, of course. But uh, in the case that you change a little bit that, that's where flexibility issues coming. So also in this point of view, is quite a little bit of finding a, a balance. I'm talking generally, everybody of us and all the colleagues around the world are different, but uh, generally speaking, uh, this is a little bit of the path that I've been uh, finding here in Chile. So Francesco, you work for Impresa, and this is where my Italian is not good, Impresa Pizzarotti. Now you're going to pronounce that properly for me. That's perfect, Kevin. Impresa Pizzarotti, that's perfect. What exactly does the business do? So Impresa Pizzarotti is a company which has been founded more than uh, 100 years ago. So mm-hmm. it's absolutely nothing further than a startup, I would say. Yeah. And Impresa Pizzarotti is one of the biggest general contractors in Italy and Europe. Yeah. So basically, we do focus on a big construction project. Yeah, civil and also infrastructure projects. Also, the company has moving uh, to new horizons, let's say, of course, to project with uh, renewable energy or accounting and technology, data centers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. of course, also the general contractor world is moving from the really classic and typical core business, which were bridges, airports, hospitals do also some kind of jobs with our, let's say, more modern and following the, the trends of the global economy. 
Greater Bitsarat is uh, organized as a really big corporation. It's present in the, about 20 countries. I don't know exactly because every year and every month they close one, they open another. So it's about 20 countries. Here in South America, we're working in, uh, in different countries. The headquarter of the Latin American region is, uh, is Chile and Santiago. And uh, we have really interesting projects here, both in other centers, in the minery industry, with uh, really important clients, and hospitals, and also bridges. And so it's a quite big range of, uh, of projects here in South America and around the world. Some of your background, though, is in financial services. So how does that translate into what you're doing now? How does that experience work for you? Yeah, it was a big change. You know, I started having my career in uh, corporate investment banking, which is totally different work. Also in uh, advisory with the KPMG in Italy. So I really like, let's say, the product. I say that in my very first interviews when I joined my first general contractor, just to get the job, probably, yeah. <laughs> because they, that's they wanted to hear. But at the end of the day, I really feel what you're doing. I mean, you can see with your eyes the projects which are yeah. getting shape. You change life of the people, of course, and we hope in a better way because you build, of course, uh, for example, in South American infrastructures which were not existing. So you build something which gets lives better, like hospitals, like bridges, like airports. And uh, I'm really proud, for example, when I travel in the uh, Santiago International Airport because I work for it, you know? So I'm a little bit critical about the airport because I know all the secrets, but it's uh, really, really honor and I really feel proud of what we're doing around the world. But, uh, you know, professionally speaking, it's a totally different world. I mean, when I first stepped in my first role in, uh, in Turkey, I had to be basically a consultant inside the company. So I started interviewing everybody just to know how the company was working, how people were working, how uh, they would interact within themselves. And, you know, finance at the end of the day, it's pretty much similar in every organization. Of course, we have different uh, gaps or financial standards to apply to different businesses. It's quite different, but still, I mean, coming from the finance industry, you can land with a quite nice language of, uh, of experience and you could bring something from the outside. You know, being a consultant, I've seen different companies. So I've tried to bring the best practices in the first general contractor where I work. And also, let's take in consideration that the same company in different countries, it's a little bit of a different company, you know? Yeah. So in every company or country you travel, you take the best and worst practices. So I think that one of my biggest uh, added value is having the possibility to bring in the office and on the desk experiences in really different environments and really different businesses. I think that's the what helps me to deal daily with the finance strategy in a general contract. Yeah. And 
This is something that actually fascinates us in Grow CFO. We've looked at the journeys of over 500 CFOs and how they've got to the, the top job and all the different experiences they've had in between. And certainly a recurring theme is make your career varied, different types of experience, different types of company. Don't be afraid to step outside of finance. Absolutely. And it all leads to a rounded experience. I can see that you've got some tremendous experience in managing people in all sorts of different cultures. Now, just looking at what you're doing, you're looking at finance, accounting, mergers and acquisitions, tax and legal, internal audit, human resources, general services. That's a lot of things to be responsible for and must bring you into contact with a lot of people on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's very true, Kevin. And uh, there is also the IT part, which is getting bigger and bigger, you know, yeah. because we want to learn new technologies to, to get the job done and to smoothen the, the operations. So, yes, it's a quite big group of work. I reckon and insist that I will suggest to all new graduates to consider uh, um, an experience in consulting or advisory, let's say, yeah. or M&A, or whatever it says, because even if maybe you don't like the job, because, you know, when you're an analyst, you don't get to see really fun stuff. It's not that sexy, let's say. But getting the possibility to talk with different people, different clients, dealing with different issues, and trying to learn with different solutions, then will give the opportunity when you go to the corporate world, as I did, to have that mental flexibility and probably also a little bit of pro- professional practice to deal with all these different stuff. So you can put masters in a hat when you talk to human resources, and then still it's the same Francesco, but I'm different when I'm dealing with our legal team. Just think that I was used to do this with external clients, and right now I'm doing it with internal clients, which are different departments, which also internally in some cases report to the to the finance department. So yes, sometimes we speak different languages, of course. I'm referring to the technical language. Uh, we have different point of views. Let's not forget that we are a general contractor, so it's full of engineers, full of engineers. So we have yes. uh, of course a, a very, very, very different mindset. But still we have to follow the same target. We have to follow the same vision of the company. So on a daily basis, we have to find a point of contact just to get the job done. You know, it's challenging. Of course it is. Sometimes we have our differences, which is also interesting. I think uh, hearing different uh, opinions, for example, from uh, an engineer, sometimes is totally new uh, to me. And uh, I feel they are let's say, complementary uh, capacities. That's what makes my team so so strong, I guess. So how big was the organization in Chile when you joined? So when I rejoined Chile with Impresa Pizzarotti, it was the four of us. It was yeah. me, who I was appointed chief financial officer for the area, the new appointed country manager, a general counsel, and a tender department manager. From four people, you've grown to how many? Currently, we are like 1,400 people within less than two years and a half. We got really important contracts 
with main clients in Chile, both local and internationals, especially in the mining sector. We are operating a copper mine in northern Chile, which is the biggest open pit copper mine in the world. So we are really proud of that. And um, as I said, with my CEO, we have been living two years in apnea, not even the time to breathe. And yes. so talking to you right now, I look behind my back the past two years and get this morning like uh, we didn't even expect it. It was challenging, of course. Yes, we had the support from the headquarter, which is good and sometimes it's bad because still the boundary gives you some rules to follow, which sometimes don't exactly work locally. And But, you know, we have to start from scratch. Right? So we yeah. finding the offices, trying to understand the consultants, how to shape work contracts, finding bank loans, everything from scratch. That is quite, quite a challenge. I can see why a CFO with so much experience coming from so many different countries and having to get to know what happens locally can be a big, big advantage in that sort of environment. So as CFO for the region, how involved do you get in those individual construction projects? So let's say that I get involved a lot within the seed stage, let's say. Yep. Especially when we have to find commercial partnerships with our company, because in many projects, it's Impresa Pizzorotti and, of course, other, other companies. When they decide of the project or the complexity, the technical complexity requires that. So, of course, we get engaged as the finance team and me as the finance leader to find the right partner. We do due diligence for the uh, potential new partner. Then, of course, I'm heavily involved in the shaping of the commercial contract with the partner, which uh, is basically an MOU. And that's where, for me, is one of the most critical parts because this will shape the future of the project. I mean, the theory that we have in the project, the position that we have in the, uh, in the organization, the possibility of consolidating by ERF 11, the amount of our stake in the project. So these are all elements that can change uh, the, I mean, the success or not success of one project in our company. And after that, of course, uh, there is also the startup phase where we have to, to land with the uh, loans. We have to find the people, you know, in a general contractor. As a general contractor, we need a lot of capital expenditures. So we have to find leasing, leasebacks, acquire the equipments, and et cetera, et cetera. And I will say that after that, during the operational stage, of course, my presence in the projects or as a supervisor goes a little bit down. Yeah. Uh, first of all, because we have a finance team on site. So usually there is a chief financial officer for the project with this team. So if there are not big issues, of course, usually we speak daily, but we have quite strong reporting. So I get the report. Of course, I sit in the board of directors. And uh, that's when basically I deal with uh, mid-term or long-term decisions. So I, I don't get in the daily operations anymore. I guess that changes a little bit of a project becomes distressed if there's a problem. Oh, of course. Of course. That's the funniest part. <laughs> and as you can imagine, Kevin, this has been 
quite challenging years. You know, the pandemic hit after the pandemic, also the, the world changed a little bit. The suppliers, all the logistics, it has dramatically changed. So, of course, some of the project gets in a financial distress situation. It's my job to try and see that happening, to see that coming before it does. Of course, uh, my, my colleagues on site, chief financial officer or deputy chief financial officer on site. And uh, every time that we see the, the cash flow, we, me in particular as country or regional CFO, I try to stress it with the CFO on site. There are a lot of what could go wrong. There are a lot of assumptions that could fall. There are a lot of problems that could arise. And so my job is trying to see that come. But of course, it, it can come, you know, I mean, that's life. Projects in every field or in every industry are really risky. So it's not unusual that you see a really nice economic result at completion, but you have to get there and you need cash to get there. So if you see that cash is burning, you have to stop it and you have to do it really fastly, not to come in a situation where Basically, you have no, no other options to do that. It's quite critical. Of course, uh, in times where interest rates are skyrocketing, there is a little bit of financial crisis around the world, regional, but also international banks falling. So I'm, I would not say that there is a credit crunch currently, but I would say that credit institutions and banks are way more risk adverse. So we, of course, try to get every project to either finance themselves, basically. Of course, we have different instruments and tools to try to get them on track. Like, for example, as I mentioned, of course, leasing, leaseback operations, factoring, confirming. We have a wide range of products, which usually, I mean, they have an impact on the economic result because they have a cost. So we yes. try to avoid them, of course. But I would say that our biggest partner is the client. I will explain this. I mean, the client and the general contractor are aligned in terms of interests. I mean, we want to get the job done. They want to get the job done. So if you are a, a good general contractor, you're transparent. Of course, you're performing in terms of production and you get the trust of the client. I reckon that the first door to knock is the clients because you can work on different contingencies that came arise and you were not expecting. For example, COVID, I think it's one of the biggest examples. So you can get variation orders, you can get extra cost paid, and what is sometimes very, very important extension of time. Because if you are not performing not only economically, but also in terms of production, and you don't come along with the deadline given by the client, there are a lot of penalties and fines. So we always try to, to anticipate that. Having a smooth conversation and flow of information with the client, not finding anything. So in a financial distress situation, we find uh, the client's help. And I would reckon that in the last possibility, is the company itself that needs to recapitalize or opening a, a working capital line for the project or basically put cash in that. So, Francesco, 
You started from scratch of four people in Chile in 2020. Now, you've mentioned COVID a couple of times, but 2020, that can't be a good time to start an operation like this. Yeah, that's very true, Kevin. So going to step back, I left Australia also because of COVID. I mean, they were closing the borders. So quite a country, quite away from my homeland. At the same time, the company was uh, starting the business in Chile. I had experience in Chile, so I was probably their best shot. And uh, we came along with this decision. And we were, uh, why we started in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic? We work in uh, strategic industries in some part of the region. So, for example, here in Chile, we got very big contracts with Codelco, which is the main copper producer in the world. And uh, it represents quite big part or percentage of the local or the regional economy, you know. So they don't stop that sort of operations, never. Right. Of course, it was challenging in some way because on one side, the clients want us to operate from zero to 100, like uh, in two months. So to get the operations on site as soon as possible with really, really challenging deadlines. And uh, on the other side, the logistics were kind of really crazy, not not only uh, challenging. Uh, For example, just bringing people in the region during COVID, which usually is uh, business as usual, to get a, a visa and get in the country. In that very special period was something uh, a little bit difficult. So starting from that, you can imagine all the logistics with the equipments, the subcontractors, et cetera, et cetera. So answering to your question, that kind of business never stops. So somebody has to do it. Somebody has to do it, exactly. Also, when you are building a, a hospital, it's also on an airport. It's a It's a very strategic asset for the Mm. country and the government. So in that point of view, as a general contractor, of course, COVID hit quite strongly. With the biggest amount of our clients, we never stopped the operations because of that. I mean, thanks to the strategic uh, role that this infrastructure has for the economy and the country itself. Mm. So there are certain industries where it's it's always a good time. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Just imagine, Kevin, that in the minor industry, we work uh, 24-7. Yes. And there are different shifts, but the operation never stops. Never. Yeah. And my background originally is the chemical industry. Similar thing. Mm-hmm. You've got very, very expensive equipment. The assets are the key thing. And it's the return and the investment of the asset that's important. And you're producing whatever in our case, it was plastic. So we were producing plastics 24-7. Yeah, nothing stopped it. Yeah. Yeah. Francesco, this has been an absolutely fascinating story. Just in, in summing up, is there any one piece of advice that you'd give a younger version of yourself? Yes. Quite happy of what I did. If I had to give a piece of advice, also seeing the pattern of other colleagues, uh, which started with me, is to stay humble. I mean, with something quite normal to say, maybe, I don't know, something not really interesting, but I reckon the, the biggest driver 
in my career has been just getting the job done. You know, yeah. my biggest endorsement is my job. More talk and a lot of doing, um, getting stuff done. So stay humble. Probably you will be in places or in positions uh, which you don't like at all. If the management and the company is smart and intelligent, they will understand that you're making an effort, that you're taking a little sacrifice, and probably it will pay off. So stay humble, stay get humble. the job done, and that's it. And of course, uh, try to enjoy the journey. Have fun. Francesco, the humble Francesco Zapala, thank you very much for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you for having me.